Hey, Luke. I'm at 152. Oh, hi. Hi. Uh, How are you? You know, I'm alive. I'm, I'm incredibly sexy. So, doing pretty good. How are you? Good. So I'm dead inside. How are you? Why are you dead inside, Luke? You, you got your I'm Notre really Dame cohort inside. back, right? You... I do. It's good to see oh, everyone. It's good. To yeah. See. It's not the same, but that's okay. No. Uh, but it's definitely good to be able to like touch base with them every week and text them here and there, and it's it's nice. So to those that are oh listening, hello, and uh, just happy to be talking with. To- I'm happy to be talking with you. Uh, oh, I need to talk with you about some business stuff after. Okay. We have to. We cannot forget this. We cannot forget this. We cannot forget this. I'm down. It's about taxes. Yeah, it's been kind of a big week for the old Gomester. Been kind of a big week. Yeah, it has. It has. Yeah, it was nuts. So last week I edited the show because we recorded on Monday and Tuesday. I was able to edit the show and have it ready to go for our Patreon listeners on, um, what day was that? On like Wednesday. Wednesday night, Wednesday or yeah. Thursday, yeah, yeah. And then on Friday, uh, you know, we wake up at 4 a.m., we drive down to the the hospital for Shannon's surgery, and it was, everything was horrible, right? Um, and then I took my laptop because I didn't have time to edit the commercials because we had new commercials. So I drove to a Denny's because they kicked me out because of COVID, all the restrictions, and and it was the operation time, so I had to. They don't let you wait in a waiting room; you have to leave the premises. So, I went to um, Denny's, land of forgotten dreams, and uh, I sat there and had a veggie omelet, and then uploaded the show. Uh, it took forever, but it was it, it got uploaded. Um, but yeah, it has been it has been a rough freaking week. It has been a rough week because this is also the busiest week in my work year, like at work of the year, because we launch uh, around 2000 students go to faith formation and youth ministry and it all launched this week. Oh, and we had a hurricane. It was funny. I didn't even know you guys had one. Someone told me after the fact, I was like, what the hell are you talking about? And my in-laws came down to be with us. Holy crap, you want to meet two people who cannot sit still, and their love language is is acts of service, right? The last day, they bought all of this, all of these plants, and flowers, and mulch, and topsoil, and redid our whole front yard. It was incredible, and made my sons and daughters... Oh, that's cool. Oh, it looks a thousand times better than I've ever done. And the, the, the funny thing is, afterwards, you look at it, and you're like... I mean, I guess I could have done that, but God, I feel lazy. <laughs> it's funny how much work that is because you see it and you're like, just to have it look nice, yeah. presentable. It's actually an insane amount of work. So, but like, yeah, but it's 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 worth it. Like, it's a big difference between doing it and not doing it. Yeah. Uh, what's so? What's been the hardest part about this past week? <sighs> Man. Um. So I, I would say beforehand for me before this week was like. Dealing with the fact that I had no desire to do any of the work stuff, like worky work stuff. So when I would get to work, it was just hard. So I had to find things at my job that kind of sparked joy and then just be like, okay, well, I'll do the fun stuff or the, you know, these things. Um, I'll focus on those and then I'll sprinkle in the crappy stuff, you know, as you go. But with this, it, um, 
it's just, you know, it's just straight up depression. It's just straight up. I and and I'm at a just a different place than my wife and, you know, obviously and she's dealing with the physical pain and the uncomfortableness and all that stuff and I'm just the jackass on the outside looking in and you know, you, I I've talked about it before like you feel powerless, you can't do anything as a man, like you want to help. Yeah. And it's a horrible thing. Yeah, and the worst thing about it all is it's so internal to her that there's literally nothing I can do other than run interference with our kids. But even that, you know, like she wants to be with her family. So, yeah. Well, buddy, I'm sorry. I've been thinking about you guys a lot, a lot this past week. I appreciate it. I, I, I can't imagine. I really can't. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard. And for me, I've been doing a lot of, um, Trying to get back into the liturgy of the hours in a in a consistent basis, you know, we had that conversation briefly on our on our WhatsApp group, and um, yeah, I, I just love praying the Psalms, and I love the rhythm of it. Feel the rhythm, feel the ride, cool runnings, and uh, when it, John Candy, yeah, the Swiss, but uh, Eins zwei drei, uh, but you know, I don't know. It's it's bizarre. It's bizarre. It's so not normal that I hate it. I hate everything about it. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. I just hate it. Yeah. it. Um, when you're navigating that stuff, it's, uh, man, my heart breaks for you guys. It really does. Because it, uh, for uh, like a lot of it, I, I, um, I wish I had something wise I could say. Like a little miniature Buddha. All covered in hair. No, it just. I will say that, um, so I've watched, you know, I'm doing the Exodus 90 thing for 30 days, and it's been good because I'm not drinking alcohol. It's been good because a lot of the stuff that were my go-to medications, right, remember my defaults, you know, they're not there, at least, you know, not in the same way. And so it has been good. It has been good making Sunday a, a day of resurrection and fun and desserts and beer. That was fun. So what we're doing is you do Exodus 90, you know, the all the stipulations, you do that six days a week. But on Sunday, all of that is off and you just celebrate, right? So if you want to drink, if you want to watch TV, if you want to do whatever. And it's been handy with NASCAR being on Sunday, tell you what. <laughs> uh, no, it hasn't. I don't know what I don't know what's going on with you, man. You uh, you kickstarted Notre Dame lifestyle again and starting yeah, up that process. Yeah, so taking two classes that's been very very good. It's been very 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 with a busy time of the year for work. So life is insane right now. I hate. Uh, I am not having fun. What what makes it busy? not compared to what you're? I feel bad yeah. saying after what you just said. So I'm like, it's just you know, blah. your pain means nothing compared to mine. Mahaha, <laughs> monopoly. Uh, no, what is what is uh, what constitutes a busy time for you at your jobby job? Uh, so right now is the kickoff of the annual fund. So it's when we try to bring in a lot of of the money we raise for our operating costs. We have that going on. We have our big appeal of the year, uh, and this is this is just now. This is true with everyone. I mean, it's just it's. The last quarter of the calendar year is typically by far for fundraisers the biggest, the busiest one. And it goes into the next. I mean, and, and you're always doing stuff, but this is kind of when it's like you're pushing for things. And because we're starting something kind of new, we're trying to, you know, get out there fast and get out there um, 
So a lot of meetings, working on an appeal. We're doing some donor gatherings that I'm excited about. We're doing uh, – uh, we have a big event of the year coming up next month. We have a lot of stuff going on. So uh, it just it's, – it's, and we don't have a huge staff, so it's pretty much just me and my uh, um, assistant, and we're hitting it hard, but it's very, very busy. So, But I have a great board, and I have a – you know, uh, it's a good school, a community, so I'm happy to – you know, it's good. Can I ask you a it's question good. about, like, school fundraising? Yeah. Do you find that – like, how do you balance the little fundraisers with, like, the big fundraisers, right? And the, the overall development. Do you guys do capital campaigns or do you just do ongoing development? So we're in a little bit of a weird spot just because uh, we haven't done a big capital campaign for a while. Uh, we Like, what do you mean by a while? Revamp- like, 10 years? Well, the big, 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 big thing where it's like, hey, here's a gym. Mm-hmm. Uh, 20 years. Uh, there was some STEM stuff they did about five, six years ago that pretty much I would say was kind of like a mini capital campaign. Okay. Some p- other people might disagree, but I think it pretty yeah. much is. Um, it's not total capital stuff, but it's a pretty big project to, to take okay. on. Um, it's a pretty big – it's a lot of change. It was a lot of – you know, you're changing the building. When you do that, typically what involves a capital cam- campaign. Yeah. You know, so – um, or, it's you know, the big part, and then usually you might have an endowment or something on top of that, but it's – Quite often, it's just improvements to your um, uh, your infrastructure, like like the actual um, buildings, yeah. or you're building a building, or you're adding one, yeah. you know, physical you're renovations, tearing one down. Like yeah, okay. <clears throat> Sorry, my allergies are, are mm. killing me. Um, so with us, because we've gone a couple years without a development individual, there's kind of a rhythm for how they do things, but it's very very loose. It's very relatively simple, and so we're trying to build on that. And so what the I could see us doing a capital. I could see us probably doing a thing like that probably every, you know, five, ten years or so. Um, and uh, But it's, a, it's schools are a little bit different because yeah. you're t- quite often here in the United States, you're grossly understaffed at Catholic schools. And uh, you – so that makes it really, really hard to, to do it. And the need is so great, and you're operating, and you have a limited community. You, even though you can have a, a robust one, you're not like you got to you, you got to start. You got to yeah. start somewhere. So um, for us, I, I without giving away the farm, not that that I, I care about a strategy or anything, but I just want to. We haven't decided anything yet either, and I want to respect that. Um, I could see us falling into a little bit of like a, a pattern every couple of years, where it's like this is going on, then we do this, and then we do this, and then you repeat. But you always have all three things kind of going. It's just one year you're really leaning into this one part here. Hmm. Okay. So that's that's what I could, that's what there's some other schools that have done things like that, and I kind of like that idea because I think it's you have to kind of always be doing all three kind of, but then I think it gives you space to really um, you know go hard without having to be all things to all people, which is the. The thing about fundraising that people tend to forget is that it's a grind. Me and Aaron were actually talking about this today, like. Exciting fundraising is bad fundraising. Real fundraising is, okay. is a grind. It's a grind. It's it, it's just you're calling and you're having a meeting and you're asking and you're calling and you're having a meeting and you're asking and you're calling and you're having a meeting and you're asking and you're calling and you're having your meeting. Is this for asking, big gifts or and you regular gifts or? Um, I would. I mean, it, it all is relative. But I would say, really, it's for all gifts. It's that. It's just, it's, it's kind of just, it's very much, it's a lot of grunt work. 
my Catholic so, school growing up, we sold candy bars every damn year. Yeah, and that stuff's fine. Okay. That stuff's fine. That's that's I I would <laughs> like that to me is like I mean that is fundraising, but that's like that's I mean most people understand that's totally different. When it's like, here's a candy bar, here's a, you know, gosh, we did magazine subscriptions when we were in junior high, you know. <laughs> so that's going to date us. Uh, like, I actually, I love doing that stuff. I got a free a limo ride one time because of that. Uh, and I got, I want some cash money that I then bought, like, an Empire Strikes Back game on the NES. Um, <laughs> not the Super Nintendo, the NES. Uh, oh, wow. Oh, yeah, wow. It was a very, very end of that. So uh, it... Like a lot all of all your friends had Sega Saturn, and here yeah. you are with a like when you do a capital campaign. By the time you actually launch it, I'm sixty percent of it's done. So by the time you have the branding and everyone's on board and you're announcing it, like you're pretty much done, if not eighty percent, if not even more. Like you're just getting the last few parts, last few people to to commit. But there's a ton of grunt work that goes into that. You have to. Replace it to replace individuals for a couple of years and make sure that you have enough money that you're not, you know, hurting your operations and blah 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 blah. So the big fun, um, sexy stuff that everyone thinks is going to bring them a whole bunch of a whole a whole, whole bunch of money, rarely rarely does. I don't mean you're, I, I mean like like if we just do this, we'll get this much money. It's like no, like no, okay. Because even if you did, you're not going to get it the following year or the year after that. So you've just, you've like, congratulations at the expense of having a stable development program. You've decided to try to, like, you've won the lottery and you're going out to buy pizza for the rest of your family with the money that you won. You know, you haven't really done anything special, if that makes sense. All right, friends, let's take a moment to talk about CMF Curo. Now is a great time to learn more about CMF Curo as a Catholic healthcare option for your family. You can join any time throughout the year. Plus, you'll experience an authentic Catholic community that actually cares about your whole health, spirit, mind, and body. CMF Curo members share medical burdens in community, have access to a spiritual director, concierge services, health and spiritual resources, and more. Since 2014, this pro-life Catholic healthcare ministry has partnered with leading health sharing ministries to provide an affordable alternative to medical insurance consistent with Catholic teachings on life. CMF Curo is part of the Christ Medicus Foundation, CMF, a Catholic 501c3 nonprofit founded in 1997, dedicated to sharing the love of God in healthcare through defending religious freedom in healthcare and building Christ-centered Catholic healthcare options that serve the church, the laity, and the poor and the vulnerable. You can check them out on social media on either Facebook or Twitter at CMF Curo, or the website is mycatholichealthcare.com, or click the link in the show notes. Thanks to our friends at CMF Curo for sponsoring this episode of Catching Foxes. I always wondered, like, how parishes should focus on development more. I feel like that's the the missing thing. Like, you survive on offertory and the equivalent of candy bar sales, but rarely do people... Um, think somewhere between capital campaigns and candy bar sales. You know yeah, I, mean? I, I, I have a couple of thoughts on it. So one, fundraising is ultimately, it's all about giving, right? And it's about doing a giving to a thing that's, that's very important to you. So for the, like, why do so many people of our grandparents' age, maybe your parents' age and a little, or might be kind of the point where it starts to change, Everyone, like my grandparents' age, you give. You don't think twice about it. You give. 
and shame on you if you don't. It's the worst thing you could possibly do to not give to the church. It is assumed you're going to do that. As you go down, I'm younger and, and I'm uh, younger and younger and younger. That starts to break down by the time you get to people our age, and it's like I hardly ever give to the church. Mostly because I don't trust any of them. But there is an element of like, well, how important is this to you really? And if we're not, um, if we aren't bringing that up, and I know plenty of people try try to, but on like a regular basis. So are, 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 are men's small groups holding each other accountable to tithing what you can? That can be 10%, that can be 5%, it can be 2%, it can be 1%. But like, are we holding ourselves accountable as a church? I think that's, so I, 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 I'm kind of, before we get to what the parish can do, I think that the laity needs to take a good, hard look at itself and be like, hey, are you actually committing to this in a way? Now, for like some people our age, especially, you know, um, if you were to choose, so you've got your boomers, you've got your, you uh, got like the Gen Xers, and you've got uh, your millennials. Who holds 70% of the wealth right right now? The boomers? Yeah. Who holds, let's say, 9% of the wealth? The millennials? Yeah. And out of that 9%, who has like 4% of all the world's wealth? Zuckerberg. So you have to kind of like, <laughs> you have to really, I mean, it's kind of crazy, but if you, start, if you think about how much of, I don't know what the exact number is, but if you were to look at like how much money the millennials have and how few of hands that is actually in, it's kind of insane. Now, who's the most culturally relevant, though? Who's the most culturally important? Who sets the tone for who has the most influence within the culture right now? Me. No. Who? Gen X. Ooh. Yeah, it's interesting. There was, there was a uh, – it was actually Uncle Wade who sh- um, who shared this with me. Uh, I think I may have um, sent it to you. I don't remember if I, if I, I did or not. But Gen X, what tends to move move – the needle in in the culture the most. It's not like what we would think of pop culture, but it's books, it's art, it's other things. It's what people who's um, like who is who who is writing what where. And right now, that's all Gen Xers who have taken that over. So if you understand that, like pop culture actually only is a tiny part of it. It is yeah. a part of it. It's probably the loudest part, but it is not by any means necessarily the entire culture. Your right. best authors, all the stuff, your people tend to yeah. be, like, they're all of the Gen X age. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, no, that makes sense. The The children of baby boomers are finally coming into the the peaks of their careers the older the older as boomers, baby yeah. boomers yeah are all retiring for the most part most baby boomers are retired now yeah and you know as the largest workforce in the history of America retires the boomers the largest amount of people enter the workforce the millennials right you have the Gen Xers in between which is interesting but they're coming into their own yeah that makes but, sense but here's now going back to your, your your question about the pair so here's the challenge um. It is an internal thing, but the, that internal thing is only going to get you so far, right? Yeah. And so, and a lot of parishes can't afford to hire a development officer. And to be blunt, with the size of a lot of parishes, one person is not enough. It's probably a one to three person operation. So, mm-hmm. I don't know what the answer is yet to this. I know there are some. I know that a group called American Philanthropic is working on something. I'm curious to see what they do. It's kind of interesting for parishes. I believe they're piling it out in Denver and in Phoenix. Uh, American Philanthropic, please hire me when I'm done with um, Notre Dame. And uh, I sent a message to one of the guys. I was like, I'd love to work for you guys one day. 
Um, he's like, thanks, dude. There's, thanks. <laughs> I went to Luke Yale. So Leave me alone. Seed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, and so it's, um, I, I, so one, I think, what are you doing to really tell people to give? Are you trying to, mm. how, I mean, Every week, are we reminding people in some way, um, shape, or form? But then how does it become not, like, all about the money? Because that's well, one of the reasons why millennials, when asked why they left the church, they said, because I feel like you're always asking for money. And that's in the top five. Yeah, I think that's kind of a horseshit answer. I, I think, I, I, well, let me put it. Put it, put so it says the man who always asks for money. No, but I, <laughs> I, I, would, I would have thought that before, because I never felt that. I think if... If I'm not seeing my life changed or other people's lives change or real things happening and you're asking me for money, yeah. Yeah. Like you just realize, like, what like, shit shows the majority of Catholic parishes are. I mean, the preaching is awful. The music is awful. The ministry is awful. And people are not reading, writing, researching. They're not investing in it. And I, and, and I mean parishes that have money to do this stuff and have employees. There are a lot of shit shows... Sh- parishes out there and i could understand like i i think it's so funny sometimes when people look for cultural phenomena to scapegoat their moral responsibility for having a good parish (laughs) i I really do like well you know these kids they're all atheists and it's like yeah and you're giving them every reason to be i don't know well and 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 it's and it's going back to our bigger thing that we were continually trying like one of the whole points of the show is just to unpack this idea of like what are we even doing and not in a, I don't mean that yep. in a, like a, what's the point of, I don't, I don't mean that in terms of the um, substance of the church. Yep. I'm talking about her accident. So that just the, not what the church is, but this kind of like, ugh, of, the, of the whole thing. Um, when you can ugh. barely, I, I mean, again, I, I go back out of this though. Yeah. I remember going to church out in California, be able, if, <laughs> if I would go and it'd be like a Sunday morning. And I'd be a little hungover, and I'd be, like, there in this ugly church with a band playing terrible folksy songs. And I'd be like, oh, my gosh, these people, why are they doing this? And then I'd have this thought where I would think, yeah, but at least they're doing something. You just went out drinking last night. You know, like, <laughs> like at least they're doing something. And, and, yeah. and, I, and I'm, I'm with you on all that stuff. But I, I just That's where I start to question myself a bit, which is like, well, they're here. What are you doing? You have a podcast that you're now begging for money because your wife just put a gigantic hole in the side of her door. So are uh, we going there? I, I didn't Patreon.com slash CF. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So That's describe cool. to me what happened again. She was in a narrow thing oh and she gosh. thought she okay. could make it. So Aaron doesn't listen. So I love my wife. She's 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 amazing. But Aaron has this and Everly has it too, I think. If her behavior for the past, let's go, oh, 14 months means anything. Um, <laughs> there's a stubbornness of a, no, 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 I'm going to do what I want. Don't you dare try to tell me to change. And, like, if you do, screw you. I'm going to, like, do it on my own and, like, you know, like, not dance. I, I mean, I would dance and gloat. She's just going to go off with, like, the eternal unlock confidence of, like, damn right. You know? <laughs> and so... <laughs> We are. We had a new uh, furnace installed in our basement today, which I totally forgot about. And um, on our so on our street, they're doing. A, they've been doing a bunch of like gas line work and uh, stuff. So like neighbor's yard, right next to our driveway, the front part's compl- next to the street is completely torn up. Okay. 
and it is they have like and it's like kind of um, roped off as well. So there's no room for her to like. So so then on on like our side of the street by like right in front of our house, we have the truck, which the guys who were installing the furnace. We're like working out of. They had one okay. of those platforms that come out of the back of that comes out of, and it like raises up from the back part of the truck or whatever, right? So they can yeah. lower things up and down. So Aaron thinks I've I can't go, I can't like you know kind of go onto the neighbor's grass a little bit and pull out there. There's this there is this like platform coming off this like platform on a lift coming out of the truck. That is bleeding into our driveway. She thinks she has enough room, mm. and she realizes that she doesn't. She tries to like, tries to maneuver it, and just <laughs> so the so the lift goes right into the the back um, passenger, the back um, driver's side door, and it just tears it and, and then puts a hole in it. It's I mean, it, it, it's, it's I mean, it like, slides geez, right through it. Yikes. So I'm like, either the door's got to be replaced, or they're gonna. I don't think they would replace the door, but like. Because everything, but I mean, it is like there's no like. I mean, it's just it's like <laughs> I know, and so I I'm saw like, it, people. I saw the photo. This is like this is gonna be one at least, at least a thousand dollars, if not twenty five hundred dollars. Oh yeah, I'm no, expecting twenty five hundred dollars. <laughs> so that's terrible. <laughs> so by begging you, no, I'm just kidding. I'm like I'm not I'm begging anyone. Uh, it just, yeah, it's fine. It's it's a, it's like don't cry over things to, that you can throw money at. So it's not a big deal. We, we, we've got the money for it. It just patreoncom CF. <laughs> it's just it's one of those things where it's like anyone gosh. that that would happen to you, you're just like, oh, oh my gosh, oh no. And I felt so. I felt like I could. She was just like. I could tell she was like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my. Like, I think she knew. What that, have I wrought? Yeah. Yeah. I think she kind of knew that it was like, this wasn't like an oops. This was a, there was clearly not enough room. I I told her to take my car. She didn't. She wanted to take hers. And. Because screw you. Yeah. It was like pride comes before the fall. Right. You know, so I like she knew it. She knew it. 100% knew it. Did um, you rub her face in it? I was just like. I told you, I told you, and she and she, and she but she had this like a little look of like I'm not having a nervous breakdown, but I'm not in denial either of like what just happened. So there's <laughs> no reason to rub it in. And I was like, yeah, and I was like, okay, we're not going to then. Damn it! This is my one opportunity to rub it in. I know, I know. So uh. I just like because it's, it's I, there. I mean, there have been plenty of times where I'm like, if you do this, this thing could happen here. And she's like, I got it. It's fine. And for the most part, it's always worked out. But this time, it did not. And it is a very expensive fix. Yeah. So, Speaking of expensive fixes, uh, I made a bold move into my new YouTube hobby yesterday. Oh, boy. What do we do? Bold move. You know how I was talking talking about uh, uh, looking at offices? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Can't wait. What's, What's going on now? Uh, been, I made a significant it's been purchase. been 10 days since we've... <laughs> what did you buy? <laughs> I, I bought some Philips Hue lights that are controllable by an app. Oh, I got uh, that. I got that in my basement. I, I keep it. forgetting you haven't been to this house yet. I haven't. Is that weird? It is. It, it, it kind of is offensive to me. Some I'm people offended. want to fly us out to do a live show out in Steubenville, so you'll, you'll get here eventually. Eventually. 
But uh, no, I bought the 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 base station, a three light kit, and then I went and bought the two bar light things that gamer nerds put behind. I their want that monitors. so badly for so yeah, yeah so I want worth that it. so badly. They output so much more light than their light bulbs. I know so much more. I want to put so it underneath put those... our bed, like how the where it goes out, so it like has like a nightlight thing at night that kind of like lights it up, so you can see. Yeah. You know, but anyway, sorry, sorry, sorry. Go on, go on. I want to hear all about this. This I love a lighting. I think lighting is so fun to play with. So I do too, and I it's, don't know. I don't. I don't have the skills down yet for it. But, no, you um, never will. It's, it's, I it's, never a, will. It's, it's an art form. Yeah. So thank you. Um, golden the, ratio. The golden <laughs> ratio. Did Did you look that up? Uh, no. <sighs> but I haven't hung anything, so we're good. Besides <laughs> those things back there, which have been on my wall for a while, <laughs> slightly off center. Um. But no, uh, so I bought this stuff. I also bought a new Apple TV 4K, which was, that was kind of a splurge because I already had an Apple TV 4K, but this is like the newest thing. And I was like, no, I'll get that and I'll put the old one in my other room that doesn't have anything. And I rationalized it to myself. It's literally not, it was nonsensical, but uh, I shouldn't have gone to Best Buy is really what I'm saying. I shouldn't have done that. And uh, I, I even stared at all the gamer PCs, and I was like, should I? This morning, I started my day. Should I? Should I? We're going through a major life thing right now. Yes. Yes, I should. I deserve well, I'm this. doing Exodus 90, and I can't medicate with alcohol or, <laughs> or chocolate or Might as well medicate food. with money. Might as well spend. Oh, wait. That's also in it. No frivolous purchases. It wasn't frivolous. It was an awesome movie night. We watched Night at the Museum 2. Well, that's they did. Fun. And, uh. And I put all the lighting on, and then I had entertainment light, which was purple and pink, and no blue Ooh. and purple behind the TVs. And and then when the, we were praying the rosary, I turned it all blue, ice blue for Our Lady. And then when it was time for them to get their butts to bed, Savannah sunset. Ah, oh, it's yeah, it's I um I'm not done yet with how with what I want to do with lights for our place. I, I think my basement's gonna be my uh. I don't know. I, I think I might do it in my be- our bedroom. I really want it in the bedroom because I love. I just love the idea of like maybe at night something kind of like a motion sensor thing. Where I don't know how yeah. I would do that, but like it's yeah, just, no, they have them. They have them. They have motion you know, sensors. You yeah. get out of bed and it opens up, so you know just can see where you're going and whatnot. Yeah, that's what a lot of people use it for. It's just hard because for me, like in the bathroom, which is the principal place, we only have two outlets in the main bathroom and our bathroom, and my kids only have. Um, one outlet in their bathroom. So it's like if I want, and that, that has a nightlight in it, but if I want to use it for anything, like that triggers during the nighttime, you know, put a little motion sensor, like I don't even know where the heck I'd, I'd put it. Like you want it up and out of the way from all the water and toothpaste that for some reason gets on the walls and, and <laughs> mirrors. But I would love, I actually bought an LED rope light a long time ago because my daughter was scared to go to the bathroom. And so my hope was that I could just string it around the top, and because it's a rope light with that thick plastic coating, um, it would be protected from moisture and stuff. But I was like, wait, there's no outlet in here. I thought there was not because they have a little toilet room, shower room, you know? And that's where she's most afraid because the nightlight light doesn't get in there, but there's no outlet. And it's on the opposite end of the bathroom of that door. So I'm like, well, that sucks. That just sucks. As what I'm really excited about, what you can do with this stuff, which when you have kids and a wife, I think it's kind of if you if it's just you and your wife, I could see how this could work. 
But when you add in kids, there's, it's just like it's it, it's a, it's a mess. And when you really think through it, it's not very practical. But if I were a bachelor, let's go back to old Bachelor Luke and his awesome ways where he takes off all of his clothes right as he walks in the house and just walks yep. around. It's great. Um, it. I need to remember that a lot of people are listening now. I'm getting text messages from people that I never thought would ever listen. So I didn't but anyways, yeah. oh my gosh, I got a one text today, which it was the nicest. I was like, oh my gosh, oh no, you're listening. Oh no, um, and you're very far behind. So okay, but oh no, um, uh, it. Uh, I, there's an option now where it's built into your app where you can just have it set where it turns on and off if when it, it te- detects that you have left your house. Yeah. And I to ha- be able to have my entire house, the alarm, the door locks, everything, I want it to be able to turn on and off depending upon if I'm home or not. You know, that's like the dream. It's just like very simple. It sees that I'm within a block. The lights are off. It sees the- and the door is locked. It sees that I'm like, you know, 100 feet. Of, um, I've left after 100 feet. I've left all the lights are off and certain lights are, are I'm left on and the, the, and the doors are locked. Yeah. Like, and the cameras are going on, and they're exactly. pan, tilt, and zooming. And exactly, yeah. The automated com- turret with the machine gun is ready. A compound. Yeah. I want a compound. Yeah, an automated and, compound. Yeah, yeah. But when or you're, you, you know, just pay to have a servant do it. You know, tech- I'm leaving now, Jeeves. <laughs> yes, sir. Oh, yes, sir. <laughs> that was a great Jeeves impression. Hello, Master Caddy. <laughs> uh, what if you just paid him to call you Mr. Wayne? Sorry, Mr. Um, Wayne. Master Wayne. Yeah. Master Wayne. Never. <laughs> uh, that's a deep cut. It's not my house, Alfred. It was your father's house. <laughs> Mr. Wayne. <laughs> Doesn't that, wait, wait, what does he say? Michael Caine was born to play that role. Like when they said there was, they were going to remake that. I remember having a thought of like, well, it's going to be a Michael Caine, right? And like it was. I was like, nice. That's like, <laughs> that makes sense. Like he was just, it's, who's their current old British guy who's not too old and weird? At that point in time, oh, Michael Caine. Right now, we uh, have a Jeremy Irons. Who's next, you think? Mm. The next. I don't know. Uh, who's the next Alfred in like 10 years? Well, who's, wait, who's playing Alfred in the, the Batman? I don't know. Are you excited about the new Batman Very, movie? very much. Very, very, very Certain people much. people are very critical of it. I could not Who? be more excited. What idiots? A, a real Riddler? Yeah. Like a, a Riddler, real Riddler. that's not stupid? Yeah. What? Yeah, who? come on. Who? Uh, people who, every time they see Robert Pattinson, they just think of Twilight. Those people are, he's a phenomenal know. actor. He, was, he really You know who's way more, who's awful, is that Christian Stewart, which he's just insufferable. Uh, she is. Uh, like. Uh, um, just for whatever reason, she was like, on uh, Gord that Graham whatever show for the, the UK show. Yeah, and she was like, "They're like, well, what's it like being a Hollywood actress now that you've made it?" And blah blah. And she's like, "I don't know. Uh, it's kind of weird because, like, you know, I uh, people are throwing me roles now, left and right, and that's just weird because, like, you know, I want to earn it. I, w- I want to work. You, you know, and it just came across as like this total lame humble brag." And Chris Rock was sitting on the couch <laughs> next to her. And he goes, good Lord. <laughs> He's like, I would love for people to throw me jobs. I'll say yes to every one of them. I need to work, y'all. <laughs> he was so funny. I know. And I'm sure she's very nice. I just, for whatever reason, she kind of reminds me of like, now I'm going to insult her. But so I'm not going to. Um, yeah, I, I'm just not a fan. I'm not a fan. But Robert Pat, he was he's in a movie directed by... The guys who did um, 
Uncut Gems, and it was so good. Was, I just I I really I like him a lot. I enjoyed him in the Time movie where it is Time inversion. Is, what was is that, that called? Tenet. Tenet. I enjoyed did, him in that. Did, He's playing the straight laced, like, like that? sophisticated guy. I haven't I did. seen it. Did it make sense? Don't tell me. I mean, I, I know it's insane, but it's insane. But I think it still made sense. A lot of people hated it. A lot of people think that it just completely fell short. I liked it. I liked I, it. I haven't seen anything. I haven't been in, in a movie theater in 18 months. This is the longest I have gone since I first, oh, the first movie I ever saw was Snow White. Whenever they, do you remember when they re-released all the classics in like the late 80s to get people primed? New from the vault of Disney. I think if yeah. I would, I don't know if this was the case, but I would assume they were doing that to get everyone pumped up for like their new, like they were like relaunching yeah. their animation stuff. With Little well, Mermaid. yeah, and it was all around that one guy and the the dude. I wish I could remember his name, but he is the one that's re- solely responsible for driving the Disney Renaissance in the in the nineties because he followed the pattern that was clearly laid out in the early years of their their big wins in the fifties. Man, they that they completely departed. Think of from. these movies that they put out in a row. They went from they um, had the Little Mermaid, which. The soundtrack to that is phenomenal. Yeah, and it then is. they went to what was it? Aladdin. After that, no, they had. Um, so they went like then they had, like Beauty and the Beast. Then they had Aladdin. Bam, bam, bam. Right. And then and then oh, and then they had the, the Lion, Lion King. King. Good gosh. Yeah. I, I and then don't forget Aladdin. One point five, <laughs> and then Aladdin two, the return of Jafar. <laughs> oh wait, oh wait! Everyone has forgotten of those movies, unless you have Disney Plus, and you're like, "What the hell is that?" I remember being very excited when Robin Williams came back for Aladdin three, and there was a line he had about uh, how almost sand is everywhere, and my mom laughed very hard, and that's what I remember about Aladdin three. <laughs> oh, I've never seen that. I didn't even know he came back. We got for pizza. It. That's funny. We were very excited about it. I, I. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, I mean it, it, the the guy's model was uh, because it's so hard to deal with musicals, right? They're so weird, you know. No one just breaks out in a mm-hmm. choreographed mm-hmm. song, and so he said, "Not as much as I wish they would." I know, right? Oh, my life would be so I'd much cooler. Um, but they said when you have when the characters have an ext- extreme emotion, they sing, and when it boils up more, they dance. Right, so it's like the so you talk, then you sing, then you dance. You're not trying to sing the whole thing. You're not trying to do that. It's not a dance thing the whole time. It's a normal movie until the joy builds up and breaks out, and then you sing and dance. Yeah. And it is it's really fascinating when you see him like break down these stories. Like he's like, "That's it. This is the formula. Don't try to change it." And then everyone tries to change it because they think. Oh, but the singing we're going to do is going to be awesome. And you're like, maybe on stage, but not in a film. Mm-hmm. Not in a film. Yeah. And people don't realize that. Oh, that's, I, would like to, I would like to watch something about that. That's, that's very interesting. I'll, I'll send it to you. I'll send it to you. I'll put it in the show notes. Um, it's the guy that uh, I think it's called Sideways. He is a YouTuber that I watched um, when they did the Cats breakdown. Oh, okay. And I, I've never seen Cats. I think it's stupid, everything I've ever heard of it. But he shows you why the new movie completely ruined the whole oh. point of the show yeah and he does an amazing breakdown of all of these disney movies and and i just loved it these songs are the heart of the show music for me anyway is information it's a way to get character and plot 
information across. So you want music to be information, you want it to develop story or character in some way, so the song will carry its own weight and justify its existence in the film. If you don't know who that is, then hi, I'm Sideways, and I'm going to make this joke every time I bring him up until every single human being on Earth knows his name. This is Howard Ashman, the genius behind The Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast, and the guy who brought Disney out of the grave in the early 90s. He knew that what you want to do is take the most emotionally significant moments of your show, the times when your character is just figuring out how they feel about something, and convert them into song and have the characters sing it at the audience. And this is why I never shut up about these movies. Ashman knew he had to keep them simple, and that's what these films are perfectly simple. These films are a perfect demonstration of getting as much information in as few musical numbers as possible while still holding up a film with a 90 minute runtime. The beauty is in their simplicity. They open with a number that sets the audience's expectations and establishes their suspension of disbelief. Okay, this is a world where people sing. Cool. Then you need a main character to connect to the audience and tell them what they want. Then you want to do the same thing for the villain and the sidekick characters. You want to know how they feel about all this too. Then you need a love song and that's it. And if you want more about this kind of thing, then go check out my video on a Goofy movie. Just take those tent poles that are the emotional focus of the story, turn them into song, and have the dialogue connect everything together. And you're done. That's it. You've got a show. Maybe you throw in something for a secondary villain, something about a village mob or a French guy murdering a crab, but for the most part, your job is done. They are the concentrated essence of this style of musical storytelling. If musical theater was a soup that you left simmering in a pot overnight, these films are what you'd wake up to in the morning. They are the essential oils of musicals, if you will. And that's why I like them so much. And I think that's why Disney has struggled so much in trying to adapt them. This whole live-action Disney remake fad started in 2010 when Tim Burton's adaptation of Alice in Wonderland accidentally almost made a billion dollars. Four years later, in 2014, and every year after that, we've gotten a live-action remake of a Disney film. Maleficent, Cinderella, The Jungle Book, Christopher Robin, Dumbo, and while they changed a lot of the music or just cut the music outright, it always seemed like they couldn't quite get rid of all of it. It was too integral to the identity of these films. Pink Elephants on Parade doesn't do anything. Neither does Colonel Hathi's March if you cut out Colonel Hathi, which you can do and still have the movie make sense. There are numbers and by extension characters that you can just cut out and not change the story at all. But at the same time, there are some characters that are inextricably linked to their musical numbers and are crucial to the story. Baloo is so enthusiastically carefree that he has to sing about it. It's just like Akuna Matata. He is aggressively laid back. It's also the entire focus of Baby Mind. Dumbo and his mom are the backbone of the story. But in 2017, when they got to Beauty and the Beast, all of a sudden you have a problem. With the intense focus on integrating the music and the storytelling, you couldn't really remake the Renaissance films, especially Ashman's, without including all the music. These numbers are the soul of how these films work. So when you have these live-action Disney remakes of the Renaissance films, the songs are stitched into the fabric of the story. You can listen to the songs and get the story, but you can't have the story without these songs. Howard said if you can take a song and you can remove it from the script, and the script still makes sense, you, you haven't done your job properly. Speaking of, well, okay, I want to use the cats thing uh, as a thing. But that's yep. going to take us on a whole other road. Um, what of those four? So you uh, have the little mermaid, you, um, ha- you have a like beauty and the beast, you have Aladdin and you have the Lion King. All of them are legit good movies. Which yep. one would you say is like, actually like, Oh, this is like special. This is just like, this is like art. Not saying that like uh, 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 movies aren't art, but like what's the what's the best one out of those? You're like this is this is good. I would think. Uh, sorry, my whole everything on my desk just started vibrating like crazy. Ugh. I have no idea why. You gotta go. Um, the power of Christ compels no. you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Okay, so th- this is a hard thing for me to answer because one, Little Mermaid's out of the one, line. You, you had no sisters. I never saw it. <laughs> yeah, I never saw it. Um, in its heyday, and I thought it was a girls' movie, so I never saw it until now, um, which I like. But Aladdin was so funny. You got to remind yourself when that I was true. like, ever yeah. since I was six years old, I would stay up late to watch the comedians on late night shows. Like, I did that. Like, so many comedians talk about, like, oh, I'd watch all the comedians on Carson. I did that on Leno and on Letterman. I would flip back and forth to see which one had a comedian on that night. Like, that, I was obsessed with that stuff. So to have Robin Williams as a genie and omnipotent. It's pretty funny. <laughs> it is it's hilarious. Really funny. Yeah. And, and I love his type of comedy where he's just constantly, it's so fast moving. And then he just makes these side comments and all this stuff. But then The Lion King. To me, I think The Lion King was like the noble, it was like the noblest of all the movies, right? Like, you're just like, here, this kid's king, right? Yeah. And he forsakes it, and it's, it's well, like heart-rending fatherhood issues. And they bring in the big guns for that. That's like, you've yeah. got, you uh, have a Jeremy Irons, which is the second Jeremy Irons um, um, reference in this episode, which <laughs> which is hilarious because I was just talking about him right before That's we amazing. came in, which here tells us that we, need to, that we need to appreciate him more. Uh, you've got you've got James Earl Jones. You have you have JTT, which the kids don't know. Huge that right. time, and then you have uh, Matthew Broderick or Broderick, yeah. who's a huge Broadway guy, um, doing the older Simba, and then uh, I don't remember who else. That one British guy is the parrot, and such and such. <laughs> oh, then you and you have a um, Whoopi Goldberg uh, as the hyena Cheech yeah. from the, the Cheech and Chong thing. Oh, was that who that yeah, was? Yeah, I never yeah. knew who they were. Yeah, who was the guy? Who was the the voice of the of the disturbed, deranged uh, hyena that would just go? <laughs> it's, it's an actual actor. If you yeah. see who it is, it makes sense. Oh, uh, okay, that's funny. No, don't look it up. No, yeah. no, put it down. My, Part of the I, joy is arguing about it. <laughs> that's true. I think that Beauty and the Beast is. I agree with you about. Yeah. I like the line. So, the line. I was like the perfect age for that stuff in the sense that when you have the, when you have the Little Mermaid comes out, I think I'm like six, and Emily was four, and we went, and I was like, oh, this is cool. Like, it, I just really enjoyed it. Yeah. And I remember really liking Beauty and the Beast. Like, we probably. I want to say we saw that like four times. Yeah. I real. I but and then I loved Aladdin. I thought it was so much fun. And then The Lion King, I really, really liked that, too. And I, was, I, was just, I was just young enough to not be cynical. Yeah. So it was fun. And yeah. I could tell it was cool animation and cool songs. And I, remember like this, like I remember really enjoying it. But I, I, I remember, even back then, feeling like Beauty and the Beast was just at a, like a, just this other level in terms of the songs. And I thought the animation was gorgeous. I think it's just from the whole package in terms of like the way that it looks, the story's interesting enough. Yeah. Um, the characters are cool and the songs are fantastic. Like, like it just yeah. like click, click. Like, I mean, it's just everything about it's great. It was firing on all cylinders. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. with you in that. Like, it's an incredible movie. You know what? You know what people say it is? It's the it's, you know, the hero's journey. Right. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is if there is a secondary story, it's the feminine hero's journey is beauty and the beast right yeah yeah it's true so it's like what does she do she 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 goes after the bad boy and she doesn't she gets caught up in adventure and it's thrilling and exciting 
and she tames the bad boy and not tames, but uh, falls in love and he falls in love with her and they become good and virtuous and all this stuff. And they live a wonderful, thrilling life. Right. That's the that's the the female hero's journey. And these Google engineers, <laughs> these Google engineers, when Google started, you know, taking off as the number one search engine, after like two or three years of just crushing everyone else and being the de facto search, they started analyzing the way men and women look at pornography and the search terms. And uh, it, they said that like w- women, it was pirates, vampires, and oh, what was it? Pirates, vampires, and like cowboys or something like that, they always look for these motifs. And he's like, this is the beauty and the beast motif all over again. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. Huh. Huh. Yeah. Huh. Huh. It's it's vampires, uh, pirates, and billionaires. (laughs) Makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I mean, but that's Dorian, or what's his name? Um, Gray in Fifty Shades of Gray. Right, he's a billionaire. He does whatever the hell he wants, and he got his money by being a pirate. And he's a vampire. <laughs> he's a blood sucking corporate uh, corporate slob who raids yeah. Uh, companies. Yeah. So, hey, can I, can I call uh, just a brief time out so I can grab another water? The Matrix has ended. It's a new BetterHelp read from your friend Luke. Uh, so you guys have heard us talk about I'm um, BetterHelp before at length, and we're going to talk about Better. That's H E L P again. Listen, BetterHelp can help you get hooked up with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start on um, communicating with one in less than like 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self help. It is professional online counseling done uh, securely online. You've, you've heard it talked about on our show. You've heard it talked about like a whole bunch of podcasts look guys god wants you to find some healing god and wants you to be the person he created he created you to be and if you're over the age of 25 and you haven't been to counseling now is the time better help is committed to um facilitating great therapeutic um, matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed it is more of affordable than traditional offline counseling and this is cool financial aid is available so um, better help wants you to start i'm um, living a um, happier life today go to their website read all all of the testimonies that are on there posted daily and guess what guys guess what Go to betterhelp.com slash foxes. That's betterhelp.com slash foxes. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been, have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in, in all 50 states. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Catching Foxes listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash foxes. So if you go to better H-E-L-P, you will get 10% off your first month. That is fantastic. Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring yet another episode of everyone's favorite podcast, Catching Foxes. Uh, if I don't lose weight soon, I'll be Santa Claus. Oh, no. Um, when your daughter gets to be like four or five years old and you go to the school nativity play and it's like, will you be Santa Claus? You're like, fuck it. I knew this was coming. <laughs> It's a couple of this. Um, so there's a joke that a person made one time uh, on uh, on Weekend Update where uh, he goes, it's the 5,000th. So he goes, today marks the 5,000th uh, time that uh, the show Cats has been on 
unlike Broadway, it's also the 5,000th time that it, like a husband has turned to his wife and said, what the hell is this? <laughs> <laughs> and that, you want to guess who that person was who said that? Norm McDonald. It sure as crap was. Uh, Man, I, oh my Norm. God, yeah, pour one out. Pour um, one out. If you haven't, um, if you don't know who he is, stop right now. Well, the, well wait, hear me out and then stop. Um, there's a link in the show notes to a joke on the Conan O'Brien show. I believe it's probably, if not the best, one of the best, um, one of the best, like, one of the best like, moments in the history of late night uh, TV. It takes place in like the mid '90s or so. It is one of the funniest things you will ever watch in that particular medium. I don't know. Like, so do, do we talk about like what? So because this has been talked about a lot, and by the time this is out. People who care will have heard like multiple podcasts on this, and I, I honestly don't even care because I'm like, this is just so important to I think people our age, especially, but to everyone yeah. who, who who likes this stuff. Um, do you want to talk about like what your action was when he died, or like when you first got into him, or what like what your views on him, or kind of like you know? Well, I'll just I'll just talk like. I was exposed to Norm Macdonald like most Americans our age, which was through the weekend update on Saturday Night Live yeah. and him doing that every week. And he was so funny. Now, not all your material comes uh, from, the, from the news. Is that right? You know, no, you, some you, of my material comes, my strongest material comes from real life. Real life? Like, for instance, today I was driving in a, a car. Mm-hmm. You were kind enough to bring a car to bring this old chunk of coal here to the studio. <laughs> We send we send cars for our guests. Yes. Yeah. So I got in it, and that's I, you know I get material that way. So my driver, what do you mean? What, what, how do you get material that way? You get in the car, and what happens? Uh, my driver tells me a joke. <laughs> <laughs> the driver we sent to pick you up told you a joke. Yeah. And you're going to tell it now on the show. Yeah, that's how I get a lot of my material. <laughs> okay. Why don't we just have him on next time? Uh, that guy. <laughs> you, yeah, that guy. No, wait till you hear me do it. <laughs> so the guy, he goes, uh, uh-huh. I say, uh, I'll be the guy. Okay. Uh, a moth, <laughs> a moth goes into a podiatrist's office. A moth goes into a podiatrist's office. Right. You are correct. <laughs> if you got his humor, you loved it. If you didn't get his humor, like I, I would sit down and I'd be cracking up and people next to me would be like, I don't get it. I know. I don't get it. And it was it was very similar to me. It's a similar vein of like a David Letterman who yeah, like yeah, the yeah. deadpanning and all that stuff is part of the joy. Um, and so about six months ago, I watched uh, it was a little bit more than that. I watched his episode of Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. And I was like, oh, man, what what happened to him? Is he like ill or what's going on? And. Um, but I watch the show and I'm like, well, it's still the same norm. <laughs> it's the same norm. I love him to death. So then I began about six months ago, I began just going on YouTube and there's a YouTuber named not Norm McDonald or I'm not Norm. I'm, I'm not Norm. Yeah. I'm not Norm. And he posts the funniest clips. This is one thing I love about YouTube culture where people go in and take 15, 30 second clips or, you know, like five second, five minute clips. Um, that's the only way to enjoy Saturday Night Live, in my opinion. But um, the Norm McDonald stuff that he was pulling out, like, I would watch over and over yeah. and over again. Yeah. And so the one, I don't know if it was you or John, sent the um, the last one with him at the 
Golden Globes given that, or not the Golden Globes. It was the roast of Bob Saget. Like, wow, I was oh, way I, off. Yeah. And yeah. he just read these ridiculous one-liners from like the 1950s or 30s or whatever. And they were so perfectly him. It was awesome. Yeah. Apparently, in reality, it goes on for like 20 minutes. Like what you, what you see on the show is yet in like five minute version. Oh. Comedy Central they released recently like an eight minute version of it. That's what I saw. They but minute. apparently there's a twenty minute version that I don't know if they ha- I don't know if they even have. Like that's what actually happened. <laughs> according to people who were there, they're like the audience was like, "What the hell?" And you see all like all the comedians slow like they like what he's doing because it's norm and his cadence is just kind of funny whatever yeah and that apparently like you see that they start to see what he's doing and why he's doing it and by the end they're dying but it takes 20 minutes of this thing of like and it's apparently just uh, yeah i am so let me ask you what was he doing so basically so okay so he's not necessarily saying i'm gonna bomb on purpose but he is doing this thing of like I'm not going to roast people, but I'm going to enjoy the absurdity of these weird jokes. Yeah. So he's he's kind of towing this line of like bombing on. He's he is bombing. Like you know, he's trying to like bomb, and he knows that like you know that he's trying to bomb, but he's going to make it enjoyable mm-hmm. without actually bombing. Yeah. Hello, John Stamos, our esteemed uh, roast master, John. Well, John has a reputation for being a bit of a swinger. Did you know instead of an umbilical cord, John was born with a bungee cord? (laughs) And Cloris Leachman is here. Cloris? Cloris, if people say you're over the hill, don't believe them. Why, you'll never be over the hill, not in the car you drive. (laughs) Greg Giraldo is here. He has the grace of a swan, the wisdom of an owl, and the eye of an eagle. Ladies and gentlemen, this man is for the birds. And I think I'm still trying. And I think there's also this. And from other pockets, I've, I, I've done a real deep dive on his, on his stuff for the past um, couple of days. He doesn't like Rose because he just thinks it's like a cheap yeah. form of comedy. And so he's just like, I'm going to try to. Plus, he's like, I don't want to. Ro-. He's I, I didn't really. I knew he was friends with Bob Saget. I didn't realize how good of friends he actually was with yeah. Bob. Because he actually tears up at the at the end of that roast yeah. talking about Bob Saget. Um, and Bob chokes up. Yeah, and when he does, it, he's like. Have you heard Bob Saget's his his podcast? Listen uh-huh. to it. It's it is like incredibly moving. Uh, I, I I think what he's doing is he, he just he's trying to make it fun without being insulting towards people, which is kind of funny. But doing an old way of doing it while kind of doing the bombing thing as well, but not fully doing it to the point where it isn't fun for anyone who's who who's involved. Bob, you have a lot of well wishers here tonight, and a lot of them would like to throw you down one, a well. <laughs> They want to murder you in a well. <laughs> Seems a little harsh, but apparently they want to murder you in a well. It says here on this card. <laughs> now, but Bob has a beautiful face like a flower. Yeah, cauliflower. <laughs> No offense, but 
your face looks like a cauliflower. As you can see, he has wavy hair. It's waving goodbye on account he's going bald. No, I think that, uh, that Bob should join the Ku Klux Klan. And that's not because he's racist. He's not racist. It's just that he'd look a lot better with a hood over his head on account of his face. <laughs> I heard you have hair on your chest, Bob, and, uh, well, let me tell you something. That isn't your only resemblance to Rin Tin Tin. <laughs> your fucking dog face. <laughs> one of his, at his, not his best, but, like, I think just one of his, like, to see him and he is bombing almost the whole time and to see him just like revel in it because to him and why I think so many, especially comedians like him, he doesn't care if he bombs or not. Yeah. Unnecessarily. He wants to do what he thinks is funny and he's willing to go just because you aren't willing to get it doesn't mean that I'm wrong or that like this isn't (laughs) funny. So he hosts the ESPYs one year. And his monologue is hilarious, but he's saying things about athletes and people who don't necessarily like to be criticized or talked about in, in yeah. that way. And you can see that they don't get it or they don't like it. And he's just like, I don't care. <laughs> so, it's so, and that's like. And he, he became the first defensive player to win the Heisman Trophy. And congratulations, Charles. That is something that no one can ever take away from you. Unless you kill your wife and a waiter, in which case... <laughs> all bets are off. Well, there's all kinds of sports celebrities in the audience tonight. I see Tiger Wood right there. Tiger Woods, how about that, huh? Yeah. Yeah, he's up for golf, of course. He's up for golfer of the year, uh, this, uh, this SPs. And you know who I feel sorry for, uh, folks? is the other two guys nominated for Golfer of the Year. (laughs) You see these guys getting ready, and I was like, hey, honey, have you seen my tuxedo? No, no, not the good one. The one I wear when I'm going to get my ass kicked. Have you seen that one? I think one of the things that is so appealing about him is he has has a Letterman-esque thing of like, oh, this is all absurd. Yeah. Like the... The like the fame, the shallowness, you know, he's like, I think why it's kind of funny. He's one of the few people that I think people both on the left and the right like, which is one, I think a testament to his immense talent. But then two, just this Bob Saget brought this up. He was very committed to like, like he wanted to get to the heart of things like deep things. So he's not an ideological individual. He's just an individual who thought very deeply, who felt very deeply. And um, so one of his, one of his other, like, and it, this like sounds like he's a person who's famous for unbombing. It's not true. I think what he's famous for is like cutting to the heart of stuff in a way that makes you go, that's actually kind of right. So like I, watched, I watched a bunch. I can barely stomach Comedy Central's roast because they're so, it's like, so vicious vulgar. and over yeah. the yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, it's so shockingly over the top 
mean, nasty, vulgar, personal, like all that. Like I watched some of the roast of Alec Baldwin. Yeah, that's 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 what it wow. kind of. Yeah, I felt like Norm was doing the thing where it's like everyone is trying to top each other. Like it's this absurd contest where they're trying to top each other as to like how mean they can be. And then he is going to do the exact opposite, not be nice, but he's going to not top anyone as to how mean he could be. Because all the jokes were like, quote unquote, me like the, yeah. oh, you, you're, you think you're crazy. Uh, this person raises chickens, chickens. Huh? Huh? <laughs> you're like, what yeah. the hell? And he just keeps going over and over. So I thought that was to me, that's what he felt like he was. He was unmasking the stupidity of the roasts yes, by yes, not roasting anyone. Yes, yes, yes. And I and he um so I when I first so I was like twelve years old or or whatever when I first like saw him on weekend update. I don't remember the first time that I saw him, but and and this is a bit of like hindsight, and so I don't know how true this is, but I do think there's some truth to it. I think he was the first comedian that I ever watched that I saw that he was doing a thing. Like, it wasn't, like, I think, like, films like Wayne's World, Tommy Boy, um, even Adam Sandler stuff, all, like, very hugely um, influential in terms of what I find to be funny. My, my God, like, the way that I react to things in my head or half the lines are, are quotes from those films or The Simpsons. Um, Norm Macdonald was the first person that I saw he was doing a, di- a distinct style because like everything else at the point in time was just stuff that I th- that I like I like I thought was um, funny but his was just um different enough that I was like oh this is kind of new and fun and really interesting and it I remember being really upset when he was fired from Saturday Night Live yeah like really I mean like a lot of people already were really angry about that because he was just so funny and um he uh like i remember being in austria when we went and got it in austria uh we were well we were there for school but when i was we had gone to berlin for the weekend and we got a tour and i kept saying because germans love david hasselhoff (laughs) (laughs) it was just and this one time he has this thing where he goes he used to like Remember when you'd be like, yeah, you guessed it, Frank Stallone. Show a picture of Frank Stallone on there. <laughs> so, like, there's just a few other things where he would like he would do this thing like one time when they would say like a thing that's like, you know, talking about how like this one place was trying to make like was trying to like mate was trying to um, make like weed illegal or something or and how like you know people in, in the town were upset he would stop and pull out a tape recorder and go note to self move to georgia you know or, or like something like something like that i just really funny and it, there's a i think what i liked about him i actually talked with i talked with uh, Greg Iwinski about this a bit. And apparently, this is a thing with like in, with you know in common. There are guys who uh, guys and gals who are like this. But like, what I liked about um, Norm Macdonald was there was this desperate. You could kind of tell he was trying to strive for. I don't know if truth is the right word, but like reality or what's actually real or what's actually important. Yeah, like stories about this person important. sleeping with that person. Not what and we all think that, is important know, because scandal we are after scandal. And- you heard the latest, so, I heard this just the other like, day. One way There's a rumor that, that last that, week that is a that, certain, uh, I don't want to say who it is, a certain that is, uh, gentleman in ABC News on the view went to a party, in the late he got really <laughs> drunk, this? and he ended up having sex and he with his own wife. I don't know. He may have killed a guy. <laughs> yeah. 
All right, no, it was Hillary Clinton. Hillary, Hillary Clinton had the, that guy No, 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 he's was talking about a Bill Clinton. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I thought it was her. Okay. And because it's right around the time of the 2000 election. And Barbara Walters is just furious at him. And it's like, unbelievable. Yeah. It is if so- you keep talking, I'm ending the show. You're off. And he and just then- keeps going. Because he's like, but I thought this was common knowledge. He killed a man like that. Like, And then when he does his Conan stuff, like he was on Conan so much, and like just like they they've been uh, they've been uploading tons of stuff on to YouTube of his stuff, and in, and in his later years he's got you know he's got the famous moth joke and other things where he does these elaborate deep things f- like for one punchline. A moth goes into a podiatrist's office, mm-hmm. and uh, the podiatrist's office says, "What's the problem?" And the moth says, "What's the problem? Where do I begin, man?" He goes, "I go to work for." Uh, Gregory Olinovich, and uh, all day long I work. <laughs> Honestly, Doc, I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. I don't even know if Gregory Olinovich knows. He only knows that he has power over me, and that seems to bring him happiness. But I don't know. I wake up in a malaise, and I, I walk here and there. And the podiatrist says, oh, yeah? And the moth goes, yes. And he goes... Uh, at night, I, I sometimes wake up and I turn to some old lady in my bed that's on my arm. A lady that I once loved, Doc. I, I don't know where to turn to. My youngest, Alexandria. She, she fell in the, in, the, in the cold of last year. Mm-hmm. The cold took her down as it did many of us. Mm-hmm. And my other boy... And this is the hardest pill to swallow, Doc. My other boy, Gregario Ivinolitovich. I no longer love him. As much as it pains me to say, when I look in his eyes, all I see is the same cowardice that I that I catch when I take a glimpse of my own face in the mirror. (laughs) If only the cowardice was stronger, then perhaps... (laughs) Perhaps I could bring myself to reach over to that cocked and loaded gun that lays on the bedside behind me. And in this hellish facade once How long a drive was this? (laughs) Do you live in the valley? Where do you live? Please, sorry. And, but when you hear what he's saying, he's getting to, like, the heart of, like, it's almost, it's very, like, his, this is so weird. His jokes take on, like, a Russian, like, 19th century Russian, uh, Russian, like, literature bend, where it's, like, life is about, is about, like, profound, like, suffering, but in that almost suffering, you realize or you it, you know that suffering exists because there's so much more out there. Mm. Like he was he was a person who definitely from everything I've heard and different interviews that he gave, he was a, he was like a man who believed in God. He was kind of all over the place. He said for he was like in real in like Judaism for a year. There were definitely years where he would have said that um, he he was a Christian. Um, Bob Saget talked a lot about how like. How, uh, how like Norm would say like he would I'm gonna pray for him and stuff and everything you know like just a, a, like a man who definitely yeah. believed in God 
and I was trying to, to find out who and what God was. And I think that's there in a lot of in a lot of his comedy, this just deep desire, like he suffered no fools. Yeah. And where I think where I th- where I think like a Dave where he, someone on oh, like a David Letterman, they were both alike where they have this det- and actually I think I'm um, a David Letterman said he was his favorite um, comic ever. And so mm-hmm. they both have this detachment from like Hollywood. And they're both kind of like staring at it going, isn't this all absurd? But where I think someone kind of like a David Letterman is taking the approach of like, well, it's all pointless, but like this is not helping at all. Or this is, you know, I don't think like, I think um, David is just, I think, sorry, David, I think that um, I think that Letterman is like Norm detached, but his detachment is through this like this like lens of, yes, it's all pointless, but this doesn't help either. Where I think someone like Norm MacDonald, he was detached, but he thought there's much more to life than this, so I don't really need to worry about this. <laughs> you know, there's like there's it's because they're both and like you could it was I mean I think it was on um, the Norm MacDonald was the last I was stand up to be on David Letterman's show, and he cries at the, at the end, yeah, because of how important how important how important David Letterman was to his life. And I think the fact that Norm does that shows that he thinks like he just he's a, he was a deep, deep, deep individual. And I think for people, for a lot of people, especially because of YouTube, he's kind of had like a resurgence over the past 10 years because there's been an, an appreciation. All of us always liked him. Yeah. And as his stuff became more and more available there was like that's right. He's hilarious. I mean, you've got, again go watch that joke that that joke that whole up seven minute long thing on team on, on team Coco of his appearance with that one person from Melrose Place. It's one of the funniest things I've ever. And I mean, I've watched that. I remember finding that like maybe like four or five years ago, and it is still one of the funniest things I have ever seen. Yeah, and all of this will, of course. Be in the show notes. It is so freaking <laughs> Courtney Thorne Smith. I die every t- I probably watched that 15, 20 times in the last six months. And he goes, you know, nine, nine and a half seconds. And then he stops and he goes, you know, because of the premature ejaculation. Like that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I read this uh, article on um, from Front, Front Porch Republic, which is a thing a buddy of mine sends me to. And so, listen to this. I love this. Norm MacDonald's comedy was divisive. Some people find it, as my wife said, not funny. He was kind of like Andy Kaufman in that the joke was his whole presence. He was also kind of like a Canadian corn farmer, just telling stories that came to mind, no matter how long or leisurely. Yeah. Not concerned with uh, that he might have some facts wrong. He, uh, his genius was in the manner of the telling, which for Norm meant plenty of pauses for knowing looks, smirks, as though the listener were in on the joke. His yeah. monotonous voice. We like, we all know where this is going, right? But we didn't know. And so his laid back telling engendered a dramatic irony, inverted dramatic irony. The player seems to know something the audience doesn't. And now this guy who front porch Republic, they're all very smart people. Um, he said this, Norm's sock and trade was a variety of what Mark Twain referred to as the humorous story. There are several kinds of stories, but only, uh, but only one difficult kind, the humorous. I will talk mainly about that one. The humorous story is American. The comic story is English. 
The witty story is French. The humorous story depends for its effects upon the manner of the telling, the comic and the witty story upon the matter. The humorous story may be spun out to great length and may wander around as much as it pleases and arrive at nowhere in particular. But the comic and witty stories must be brief and end with a point. The humorous story bobbles gently along. The others burst. And I thought that was so funny. It's because so it's like, true. He said, um, the humorous story is a performance, Twain writes. It is strictly a work of art, high and delicate art, and only an artist can tell it. But no art is necessary in telling the comic and the witty story. Anybody can do that. And so he uses the moth joke on Conan, which is the perfect the perfect yeah. illustration. I the mean, it's joke. like Tostoyevsky, like, in, in two minutes. He says, Doc. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like a spider, even though I'm a moth. <laughs> Just barely hanging on to my web with an everlasting fire underneath me. I'm not feeling good. And so the, moth, the, the doctor says, Moth, man, you're troubled. But you should be seeing a psychiatrist. Why on earth did you come here? And then the ma said, because the light was on. <laughs> My congratulations to anyone who stuck it through to the end. <laughs> So, so Norm. What? <laughs> We're pretty much out of time. I. No. Well, listen, uh, uh, it's over. Yeah. You know, like it really is. It's re- it's, it's such a because I think what he does that's so wonderful is he is with the moth joke. He takes this thing and he's like, "You're you are all here because you're trying to escape the pain of life, but I'm gonna I'm shove this in your face and make you confront the fact that I know that you feel this, <laughs> you know, and that like, but it's but it's somehow the way that he does it, it doesn't feel hopeless. <laughs> I think that's one of the reasons why it ends with the joke because it doesn't end as in it's all absurd, but it ends in like a the the joke isn't in the absurdity. The joke is like almost hopeful. I don't know. I'm probably I'm looking a little bit too deep, but one thing I did kind of I'm gonna think about in terms of how he delivered stuff. Okay, so like I love it. I love it <laughs> when he on, on, and like his update thing was not necessarily his style completely. I remember that threw me off when I started to get it to him again, like in the later um, 90s, because it was like I was just expecting update and it's not. But then but then like it's there, but it's not that deadpan like bam, 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 bam kind of kind of thing. But that's just what update. That's what update lends itself towards. He always talked about how on how on update he wanted to make the joke and the punchline almost be the same thing. Yeah. So and he said, uh, I'm going to butcher this. We talked about how like one of the closest times that he came to that was when they had a joke where it says, news today that um, Jessica Roberts, is that her name? The one with the- uh, Julia Roberts? Julia Ro- oh my gosh, I hope that's not my stroke brain. Um, that Lyle, to go, so news today that Julia Roberts and Lyle Lovitz are getting, are getting a divorce. Why? Because she's Julia Roberts and he's Lyle Lovitz. Or something like that. Like, like, or like... Cause of the divorce, you know, or like something like yeah. like, like yeah. that. And uh, I feel like he 
where I feel like a lot of stand-ups tend to um, – I've been trying to unpack it. I feel like there's some, something to this, but I could be wrong. I feel like when he would tell a joke, he would emphasize the profound part, and everything else would kind of like be like a mumble, where I feel like a lot of comedians, it's a bit of the opposite, where they sometimes will tend to like uh, – the profound stuff will just kind of like I'm a mumble through that, like to like set up and try to like put put like put a lot of emphasis into the joke part. I don't know if I don't know if that makes up sense or not, but I think there's a weird kind of like inverse that he would do because he's saying the important part is the is like the deep or the deep either like the deep thing or the absurd thing that he's trying to point out, and we all and how and how. And, like, the words he used and how he used them were very important to understanding his point, and it was obvious in, yeah. in, a, in a way that didn't hit you over the head. It was, it's so funny. In uh, the article, it explains that uh, when you start with the moth, uh, the moth joke, he says, we're only two minutes in, and evidently we wandered into a Kafkaesque nightmare, and Conan, yeah. com- Conan it begins to interrupt, and then Norm just, like, kind of ignores him. And then just pauses and waits for Conan to like stop talking. <laughs> no, yeah. And then so here's this moth and goes, "Hey Doc, sometimes I feel like a spider, even though I'm a moth, just barely hanging on to my web with an everlasting fire under me." And uh, the author's like, "Just think about what he just did. We've moved from Russian existentialism because all the characters have these absurd Russian names to Jonathan Edwards' Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God." And I love how this guy explains it. He says. The end, the audience want, had wanted or at least expected a joke, and Conan's brilliant counterpoint reinforces yeah, yeah. the expectation, right? You want the fans want the payoff, right? They want the the roast of, you know, what's his name? Bob Saget, yeah. all that stuff. So they wanted the payoff, the prize at the bottom of the Cracker Jack box, the punchline. Twain calls this element of humor the nub, and the humorous storyteller's objective is to slur the nub. And so this is how, how he says it. The humorous story is told gravely. The teller does his best to conceal the fact that he even dimly suspects that there is anything funny about it. Very often, of course, the rambling and disjointed humorous story finishes with a nub, point, snapper, or whatever you like to call it. Then the listener must be alert, for in many cases, the teller will divert attention from that nub by dropping it in a carefully casual and indifferent way with the pretense that he does not know it is a nub. Like, that is what he does so often like he literally says the punchline in such a casual throwaway way and then hammer like you know because he's lyle love it right like like like, just think of the the roast like he would say these things and then like it wasn't the joke the joke oh let's talk about this person sitting here yeah you think this person's a good guy he's not a good guy he's a bad guy i why the other day you know and he goes off and Oh, it's so funny. It's like, so funny. Is Kenny G uh Kenny G uh, released a Christmas album this this year? Happy birthday, Jesus. Hope you like crap. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's I it's I think why him and Conan worked so well, like they are just so perfect. I mean, and every good um, good um, late night host kind of has their guy or has like a couple people who are like yep. their people who are just on over and over and over again. And 
I'm, I'm, I remember like watching the moth joke when that when like when that was out and being like, holy crap, this is incredible when that was going on because it's just like you didn't want to miss uh, you didn't want to um, you did not want to miss him on Conan. And um, Conan talked about on his very last show he did on T on TBS how his goal was to always find the overlap of smart and funny and to kind of exist where those two um, lived or where those two either were like uh, joined at the hip or where there was um, tension between the two. That's what he wanted to do, where he wanted to be. And I felt like he was so good at understanding that that's what um, Norm MacDonald did. And so he could be his side guy. But then when the best, though, and this is what, like, Alma Conan said, it was always his own favorite part, too, where he's just totally laughing his ass off at what Norm is doing. Yeah. You know, and he's trying, and that's, that's on full display on the um, on the Melrose Place thing. Because it's just like, because you see Conan, he's going in and out of, like, just enjoying the whole thing and trying to egg him on. <laughs> and, like, it's just... But uh, what's the movie going to be called? Really? Well, I know what it's going to be called. Yeah, what's that? <laughs> if it's got Carrot Top in it, you know what a good name for it would be? What's that, Norm? Box Office Poison. Smith, the girl sitting to your left, is in the movie. I'm gonna go see it for free. <laughs> you scare everybody else away. No, I love this girl. Win? I would see any movie with this girl in. She's a beautiful lady and, <laughs> and a talented, nice talk show guest. Okay. As evidenced by her appearance on our rival show. <laughs> All right. Well, there's this two-hour season finale of Melrose Place. There's this movie coming out. Yes. Title undetermined at this point. Chairman of the board. Oh. All right. Do something with that, you freak. <laughs> I, I bet the board is spelled B-O-R-E-D. Now we're gonna have collective soul in a second. Courtney Thorne Smith. We hope she's still our friend. We do love. It's one, and I, I just think uh, it's a real loss for people who obviously um, loved his work. It, it's a, of course it's a it's a uh, it's a much more infinite um, loss for his family and his friends who he can tell people loved who people who um, knew him loved him deeply. Yeah, and it's what bums me out is he's the kind of comedian and. He's so rare that it's kind of like a, like a, like where are those other people that are like him. It's like, well, there is no other norm. There's just him. But what I really like about him is so often you feel like um, he's just such a unique voice with a unique <laughs> point of view that that people who are on the right, people who are on the left could latch onto because he wanted to get to the heart of things. Yeah, and sometimes that um, then and, and there are times when that can make you uncomfortable and there are times when it's actually kind of um it i think as like a catholic who at times we have these beliefs that feel very contrary to what is the norm in culture when a person speaks up and they affirm that belief or that type of a unbelief 
not even because like they believe it, perhaps, but because they're like, well, I'm trying, and it feels like there's um, something, um, uh, there's something like there to that. It's such a cool, it's such a cool thing. Yeah. And he truly like read if you can the last few pages of his. Uh, he did like a he has a memoir that came out a couple of years ago, like half kind of fake, but all like all true, but perhaps the stories aren't exactly true. Mm. Uh, the last few almost pages are just absolutely beautiful, absolutely beautiful, and so and they're available. Like you can find them on Twitter if you do a quick uh, search for them and stuff. And he did a couple jokes. He, he gets you know in hindsight, like a lot of his jokes that I was I, I, I remember um watching a set he did at the Improv during all of this, and he's the whole thing's about death, and it's just like now it's like man, like he knew, but there was almost a. I and if from I would not be surprised if like he was ready from everything I've heard or that he you know this is this is like this is a person who's probably like I pray has earned his reward has found what he's been seeking because yeah. he's uh, the I, I, truly like this is the one of the few people who are like uber famous who his death is is a loss like I mean every death is a loss but. The fact that he's not doing stuff anymore is a loss for our culture. I think. I really. I think it is. So, and that's yeah. I will miss. I'm so sad. I'm so so sad that he's gone. I really am. Uh, the magazine Vulture interviewed him in 2018 and said, "He said, you know, I think a lot about my deathbed." And the interviewer said, "What do you think about it?" He said, "Well." I think I never should have purchased a deathbed in the first place. <laughs> no, no, no. I think this is a Norm this is a Norm McDonald tribute episode. Man, I had a topic in everything. What was your, I thought that was gonna be your topic. No, it was about house flipping. <laughs> Why? Are you gonna house flip? <laughs>